podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Adrian Emery, the author of Personal Sovereignty, A Journey to Freedom, The Temple of Understanding. Author, entrepreneur, business owner, environmentalist, and keen gardener, Adrian Emery has devoted his life to creating a new philosophy called LifeWorks, based on understanding the laws, principles, and codes that make life work easily, effortlessly, and successfully. Life is a gift, and we are here to enjoy life and be successful. It is our birthright. Adrian founded and developed several hugely successful health-slash-vegetarian cafes and restaurants along the eastern seaboard of Australia during the 70s, 80s, and 90s, eventually publishing The Art of Nourishment in 1995, which encapsulated the ideas, philosophy, and recipes developed over that period heralding the concept of cooking with love. In 2001, he became a management consultant specializing in executive mentoring, teaching others how to build businesses based on spiritual principles and harmonious team structures. His fundamental premise is that a happy employee is a productive employee and that culture precedes performance. In 2010, Adrian was awarded the CSIA Customer Service CEO of the Year for bringing customer service excellence to the strata industry, where he co-built a multi-million dollar national company with 11 offices and over 180 employees. Adrian is also a gifted personal counselor and accountability coach, having developed a coaching modality called Tao Tuning, designed to assist others to find their life purpose or ikigai and attune to the flow of their inner destiny and fate, establishing their life on the firm foundation of cosmic principles. Meet Adrian on adrianemery.com. Here is the interview with Adrian Emery. In your own words, who is Adrian Emery? I would say that I am a philosopher and a student of life. I've spent my life studying life. And it's very interesting that when we look at our education system, there is no course called Life 101. So I set out to understand the laws and principles of life. And I've spent my whole life doing that and studying that. And I think that I have come to some fairly simple conclusions of how life works. Because I really believe that, you know, think of driving or or using a computer, we need to learn these things. And the better you are, 
the more knowledgeable you are, then the more successful you are. So if you understand the principles of life, then your life can be uh, more successful. Yes, and speaking about life and of life, what is life to you? Ah, uh, well, that's a that's a fantastic question. I think that life, evolution, God, the universe, call it what you will, are all one and the same thing. You think of a prism and they're just different sides of the prism. So life is a gift. Life is um, a gift from the universe. And life is also a journey that we are all on, both individually and collectively. And once we really understand that the joy of that journey and the fact that it is a gift, and, and our only obligation really is to learn to appreciate that gift and to be grateful. What would you say is the opposite to life? Ah, well, very, very easy answer to that. So if we change the word life to live, L-I-V-E, and spell it backwards, E-V-I-L. So the opposite to life is to oppose life. So as I just said, for me, life is evolution. It's an inexorable movement forward all through the universe. And when you resist that movement, when you resist life, when you go against life, then that is the definition of evil. There's no such thing as the devil or Satan. It's just that we are either with the program or against the program. And what would you say or feel is the purpose of the human experience? Uh, well, I, I have a saying, which is that the purpose of life is to spontaneously express God. And the two main key words there are spontaneous. In other words, it needs to have a spontaneity, which is joy, fit for joy, and the word God. But unfortunately, the word God has so many connotations. So you can replace that with universe, prime mover, whatever word you use. Um, and, and for me, I just need to qualify that, that there is no such thing as God, but there is nothing that is not God. So God to me is everything. God to me is just the universe, all that is, but it is not an individual personified person in heaven or somewhere else. So the purpose of life for me is to spontaneously express who you are, your individuality, your uniqueness, your authenticity. Yes, a thousand times to that. And I love the way you say yeah, that God's everywhere. There's nothing that's not God, right? Oh, I love the title of your book too. The message is amazing and powerful and very much needed. But the title of your book is Personal Sovereignty, A Journey to Freedom the temple of understanding. What does it mean to be a human being? Okay. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a very, very big question. Um, I like, you know how we all have to-do lists, to, you know, we have an appointment, to, we, you know, 7.30 my time, 3.30 your time. So we do need to use logic and we do need to use rationality. So, the human being is an experiment in the evolutionary journey of life. We are an individual personification of universal energy. Now, going back to the to-do list, I have, if you want to use the word affirmations, I have little sayings that I used, I guess, as mental joggers for me. 
and and one that I'm using at the moment is I am infinite consciousness having a human experience on planet Earth in a divine and benevolent universe. So the human being is a embryonic God, if you like. So we are on the journey of becoming co-creators. And we need to take that incredibly uh, responsibly because at the moment, we're not taking that responsibility seriously and therefore we are destructive. You asked me a little while ago about evil. So if you're not with life, if you're not working harmoniously with the forces of life to create more, to create beauty, to create joy, then you are destructive. So a human being for me is is a journey to become a co-creator in the universe. Another question that relates to your work, you speak of success a lot, being a successful human being, success in many different ways. So let me ask you the question about success. What does it mean to you? What is to be successful? Okay, to answer that question, we need to look at the concept of be, do, have. Unfortunately, in the society, we're obsessed about have. You know, he with the most toys wins. But in order to really be successful, the key word is be. It's not about having, it's not about doing, it's about being successful. And the only definition of being successful is that you are living and creating the life that you want. Now, I define success as uh, being happy, being healthy, being wealthy, and being wise. And each one of those four areas has subcategories to look at it. But it's very, very important that it's not about how much you are recognized on the planet or by humanity or what you own or what you have. It's about are you happy within yourself? Are you content? Are you fit for joy? And I, I've thought about this phrase a lot, you know, yeah. fit for purpose, fit for joy. Yeah. Am I fit for joy? Meaning, am I joyous? So you could say that to be successful is how much how much of your time do you exist in joy? Do you see any difference between happiness and joy or somehow you connect them? They're one and the same. Yes, I think there's three uh, concepts. There's happiness, there's joy, and there's contentment. So contentment is the bedrock, if you like, the foundation, because deep within your being, you need to be content. I think that's the key. If we're not content, and I'm going to just divert for a little bit here, in that we need to bring in the concept of not good enough. Um, our Achilles heel at the moment in our evolution is that we all feel not good enough. There's something wrong, there's something missing, there's something lacking, and that robs us of our contentment. So contentment is a very basic foundation. It's secure, it's within, it's not joy. You know, we don't need to be kinetic or running around, but you must have that contentment as your base. Then joy is like an exuberance. Uh, it's a, an energy. And happiness is when you feel that your life is working. So if you, if you are 
solving the problems, which we do have. We're physical, we've incarnated, we accept the reality of being physical. So we need to have food, we need to have shelter. We have basic physical demands that we need to satisfy. You have been given the gift of life, as I said before, and we need to work with that life. It is here for a purpose. It's not just a self-indulgent exercise. And so when you have order, when you have your life working, again, going back to being successful, the way that you want your life to be, then happiness comes out of that. So if I think of a fountain, the base is the contentment, the joy is the exuberance, the enthusiasm, and the happiness is the water. I'm wondering, when did this happen for you, this understanding about life and the principles of life and the way you speak? It's so clear to me. So how did you wake up to this uh, truth? Uh, that's a very interesting question. And many people have asked me that over my life. And I would say never, in the sense that I never had a road to Damascus experience. I was never going along and something happened and I changed. I've always been this way. Um, and when I was a very young child, I used to always think, and it was like a reality check. Um, okay, let's say I was born in ancient Persia, or in your case, in, in Portugal, or a Sumerian, or an Inca. And so I kept again, one of these mental joggers of going, okay, living in Western society in, in the 20th century is only a concept. You know, it's, it's only something that on, an, on a journey that, that is happening right now. And, and so I really emphasized to myself that the constructs that we have created in terms of our belief, in terms of our culture, in terms of the way that we live our society. And look, even in our lives, if you think about the iPhone or the computer or us having a conversation on Skype, how much has life changed in the last 20 years? Let's look at the last 12 months with the coronavirus. How much have things changed? And so we need to get away from this concept of believing the story. Um, and I'd like to get on to that a little bit later on, but we all believe the story of this society. We believe the story of our own selves and we need to be able to escape from the structure, from the confines of that story to really understand the truth. So to answer your question, sorry, I, I, it's just always been there yeah. <laughs> from when I was wow. a very, very young child. It, I, it never changed for me. Do you believe that some of us are actually born already evolved, this is your case, and if that is so, was it a choice that you made before coming here? Whoa, uh, that's, yes. Um, <laughs> that might be. Yeah, yeah that, that's <laughs> definitely going in a different direction, right, but right. <laughs> oh, to, to answer your question honestly, yes, I believe that we are a soul, quite obviously, and that that soul chooses its incarnation. You come in with a specific purpose. And look, let's, let's turn it around. When you die, the only thing you take is your wisdom. Now, I believe that every single moment of your existence is imprinting your DNA so that 
we have this concept of evolution and that it takes thousands of years for, you know, each individual species to evolve and change. I believe that it's instant. This conversation is changing you and I right now and is imprinting our DNA. So when you die, what you take is that imprint, is that wisdom, whatever you want to call it. And when you're born, that's what you bring in. So yes, you do not start from scratch in each life. Now, whether you believe in reincarnation or not is irrelevant. The fact is that you, you, uh, when you are born, you have created, you create your body, you create your mind, your soul is imprinting and creating what you come in with. It's just that the veil is there and we need, and that's what I'm calling the temple of of understanding. The misunderstanding is there. The separation is there. And we need to pierce that veil. If you look at, you know, the doors of perception, or this is a very common concept in most ethnic cultures that we need to pierce that veil of separation to become connected to the whole. I'm wondering if we can navigate this reality without beliefs and in your case, because you understand deeply what life is all about and you came here this way, would you say that this is a knowing for you? And how do you know that's true? Ah, wow. Well, that's a fantastic question. <laughs> Too many. Okay so, okay, so for me, personal sovereignty is the ability to be true to yourself. For me, that's the basic concept. Personal sovereignty is the ability to be true to yourself. And there are three aspects to that, ability, true, and self. So you asked me about truth. So what is truth? And you're right, truth and belief are incredibly interconnected. Uh, you have a incumbent president right now who believes that he was elected, which is obviously not true. So we can delude ourselves, we can believe all sorts of things, and one of the fundamental concepts is that all beliefs are faulty. In other words, as we evolve, as we grow, we shed our beliefs. Once upon a time, we believed that the earth was flat. We believed that the um, uh, sun revolved around the earth. We believed that the earth was the center of the universe, etc. We believed that God created the world in seven days. So beliefs evolve. Beliefs are important. Beliefs are the building block of reality. You create your reality via your beliefs. And the brain is processed or is designed to validate your beliefs. So you have cognitive bias. You search out and seek experiences and realities that confirm your bias. So Beliefs are incredibly important because they are the building block of your reality. But you must constantly, as in any, think of baking a cake, those ingredients need to be pure. You need to be looking at your beliefs and sifting them and refining them and working with them and evolving them as opposed to going, this is my belief. It's rigid, it's set in stone, it's never changing, and I don't care what you say or what you do, I'm not going to listen. Does that make sense? So your beliefs can be solid and impermeable, or they can be fluid 
and growing, belief precedes reality. What about intuition, Adrian? Is that something that we can use to be guided? Yes. Yeah, instead of beliefs, we use intuition. Right. Okay. They're very, well, belief and intuition are very almost in different compartments. One of the things that I really use a lot, particularly in personal sovereignty, is I talk about the corporate structure of consciousness. Now, unfortunately, where we went wrong as humanity, and this is around about 500 years ago in the age of reason, is that reason, meaning thinking, meaning the intellect became dominant. So if you think of the corporate, any corporate structure, but let's for the moment focus on the corporate structure of consciousness, you have an unconscious, which is, I mean, you don't, we're not controlling, how do we speak? How do you and I right now communicate and talk? We don't have to think about it. We think about the words and it comes out. We don't have to focus on beating our heart or digesting our food or pumping our blood. All of these things are happening automatically by the autonomic nervous system, which is our unconscious. We also have the subconscious, which is the seat of our feelings and, and, and how, how we interact with the world. We're above those two, we then have an, on the uh, intellect and intuition which is the right and left side of the brain, the two hemispheres, the yin and the yang, and they need to work together. And then above all that, we have superconsciousness. So there are five basic, uh, what's the word, ingredients to this, to this corporate structure of consciousness. As in any corporate structure, there's a hierarchy. So as we said before, we need to use rationality. We need to use logic for you and I to be able to connect from America to Australia or via a computer on time. We need all of those things in order to be able to catch a plane and a bus and blah, blah, blah. But we also need intuition because intuition is the correct, sorry, the direct conduit to universal consciousness. It isn't logical. It isn't rational. It doesn't need reason. It doesn't need to be proved. You can't prove it. It's just that, aha, where all of a sudden you just know or you get this gut feeling of uh, you think of someone and they ring or you, you know, one of my favorite examples is how many times in your life have you been told to take an umbrella? You look at the sky, and it's beautiful, clear blue sky. Oh, no, I won't do that and then it rains. Your intuition is constantly working with you, guiding you, trying to tell you what to do. And if, look, to be honest, if we were really intuitive, we don't need anything else because intuition is your absolute knowing, going back to the question that you just asked me a minute ago, that you don't need to know via logic. You can know you have a yeah, a conduit into universal consciousness, which is your intuition, which will guide you and tell you everything that you need to know at that particular point in time. So intuition is something that needs to be cultivated and developed rigorously, just like we learn reading, writing, arithmetic, blah, blah, blah. blah. But unfortunately, in our education system, it's denied. 
don't daydream, don't look into space, don't talk to your invisible friends. Oh, how can you? Now, going back to your question before about uh, when did this start for me, one of the most common comments my mother used to make to me as a very young child was, for someone who's so intelligent, I don't know how you can be so stupid because I was always listening to my intuition and coming up with things that were, I suppose, off the wall. And you've got to remember, this is before the new age, before um, all of this stuff became commonplace. So if you are intuitive, if you listen and trust and obey, and that is the most operative word is obey, because as I said before, if you don't take the umbrella, you're going to get wet. I don't know how many countless times in my life I have not listened to my intuition and it's always right. Would you say that meditation helps us to listen to the intuition? Definitely, because the key is to turn off the, the thinking mind. If you think about it, the intuition is that st still small voice and the logical brain that what I call the negative ego, is the yamma, yamma, yamma that's going mm -hmm. on every day mm -hmm. nonstop. And the only way to still that, to get control of that, is to meditate. Now, just a word there, which is very, very important, is that meditation does not have to be religious. In other words, it doesn't need to be Buddhist or Hindu. It doesn't need to be sitting with cross-legged. You can be meditating sewing. You can be meditating, listening to music. You can be meditating, walking in a garden. As long, you know, if you, you think of the word ikigai, I'm not sure if your listeners understand that, but ikigai is when you are in that zone and process of doing something that you really love and you're there, you're not thinking. Mm. Wow. Very important to, yes, still practice meditation as in silence and going into silence, but don't limit meditation to that practice. For me, the goal is, as I said before, how much of my conscious time is in joy and how much of my conscious time is in not thinking, in no thought, in that space of universal consciousness where the intuition can come in. So meditation for me is the the root, so to speak, the, the royal to that intuitive process. What do you love most about being in a human body, Adrian? <laughs> You're going to laugh at this one. <laughs> I spent most of my life resisting being in a human body. Right. Again, when I was a child, I used to think, God, if I could just take a pill and didn't have to eat, that would be fantastic. <laughs> um, now I, I love uh, being human. What do I love most? I, I, I think I would have to say that what I've learned, and again, even though I hate using the word uh, of God, but it's almost like, and it's a very hard concept to get across, so tell me, please, if this makes sense or not, that we are, a human being, is the perceptual apparatus 
of God to explore the physical universe. Does that make sense? I'll yeah, it does, yeah. Yeah, so we are the perceptive, so you think about it, you know, you, your eyes, your ears, or the five senses. Uh, and, and, and the huge concept here, Valerie, is that, you know, we've been told for eons that we're wrong or that we need to fight the body or that we need to resist temptation or that physical pleasure is wrong or that we should shut ourselves away from uh, the physical world in order to earn. Now, whether that earning is the Christian heaven or the Islamic fundamentalist uh, heaven or whatever the concept is, there is always this concept that there is, that this is just a penance or a something that we have to suffer through in order to earn another reality. And there are many, many versions of that concept, but it all comes down to the same thing. What I have learned is that this is heaven. This is the Garden of Eden. We are here to enjoy life. And so the thing for me to enjoy the most about being physical is the perception, which is that when you are looking out there the movie, so to speak, that is God. That is the universe. Nature is, um, the closer you are to nature, the closer you are to God. Or if you are listening to, you know, birds and natural sounds, if you are smelling nature, if you are tasting that all of those perceptions, and I think the other thing, going back to your concept, which is fit for joy, as I said before, this this joy, this happiness, this exuberance, this enthusiasm all comes from having an incredible vitality. That vitality and energy comes again from being in the flow, in the zone, being true to yourself gives you, so you're connected. Um, and so when you can get onto this, I suppose, wavelength, if you like, or carrier wave, then the experience of being physical is an absolute delight. And another one of my favorite uh, sayings is, my life is delightful. Because, you know, there are so many sayings, you know, life is a bitch, life lets you down, you know, all of these negative concepts about life or, you know, being physical is full of pain or suffering or I'm tired or I'm exhausted, all of these negative things as opposed to, as I said before, if you think of the concept of a fountain of this joy, being fit for joy, being exuberant, being happy, that physicality can be a blessing. So just, just I'd like to go back to the question you asked me before about meditation. Now, for me, the key is what I call being now. Um, you know, be here now, Ramdas, but being now. Now, when we are trapped in our story, which is our logical, rational, yama yama brain, we are divorced, separated from that reality that we're talking about, which is the joy. When you stop the thinking, and enter that meditative space, you arrive at 
what I call the plane of being. Now, the plane of being or being now is the intersection of time and space. That is the only place where you can find this joy. That is the only place where you can interact because that's where, as you say, this miracle exists. The miracle only exists in the present moment. If you can if you can stay in that present moment, then you experience that blessing, you experience that joy, you experience that gift, which is life. If you are thinking, then you are either thinking about the past or thinking about the future and you are not in the present. Meditation is the stilling of the rational mind to allow you to experience that, for want of a better word, space, even though it's at the intersection of space and time. So if you, th- if you think about that we can get off the trajectory of time and exist in the vastness of space, it's a very, very different existence. And I'm wondering if that is actually realistic, it's possible to live in a meditative state. I think it's possible. It's a huge challenge. Yeah, it is. Um, But as I said before, we need thinking. You and I are talking. If I'm writing, we we need to process. There's nothing wrong with rationality. Uh, there's nothing wrong with thinking. Thinking is an incredible gift. It's just that, like anything, and I like to use the analogy of a car. Okay, You get in a car, you drive. It's a vehicle, but you don't get trapped in it. You know, when you get to where you're going, you get out of the car. And, and so your rational mind is a vehicle. It's a very, very small part of you. Uh, And it's also a very, very insignificant part of human consciousness. Unfortunately, it has usurped control. It's usurped control in two senses. One, in the sense that we believe that it is the arbiter, meaning it it is the arbiter of truth. You You asked me before about truth. And two, it has usurped control in the sense that it's all pervasive. It's there all the time. And we need to stop both of those aspects. In other words, we need to be able to turn it off so that there is stillness and silence. Now, uh, one of the other books in the Temple of Understanding is called Becoming One. And the first sentence of that is, to become one, we must stop. In other words, everything must stop to become one. And the second thing we must do is we must turn off the fact that we believe, going back to what you said before about beliefs, we must turn off the fact that we believe that whatever the rational mind tells us is true. And it's not. Um, If you think about logic, if you start with a false premise, you will end with a false conclusion. Rationality, logic is not necessarily infallible. What is love to you, Adrian? Uh, Love is the gratitude and appreciation of life. I think there are many, many, many forms of love. We can have love for our child. We can have love for our spouse. We can have love for what we do. 
I'm sure you love. And and look, I've spent my whole life um, in my career teaching people to 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 do what they love and to love what they do. In other words, if you don't love what you're doing, don't do it. So, and that's a very very different type of love than say an emotional romantic love, which is different again to love for our child or our parent. But all of those things have an object of that love. If you go beyond all of that so that there is no object, in other words, there is just love, not love for anything, not love that needs, you know, oh, I love you because, you know, I've got to own you and possess you. There is just a pure state of love, just a consciousness of love. Then that comes back to this joy to this exuberance, because there's a, you could say, okay, love of life, but then even life is the object, whereas I believe that love should and is our natural state of being. Um, it, it's a blessedness. It's it's a uh, a sacredness. Now, and that's a very important concept. If there's nothing sacred in your life, and I don't mean that in any religious term whatsoever, there's nothing sacred in your life, then life has no depth, no purpose and no meaning. Love, I think ultimately, is just a state of being. So how did you become a writer? Uh, look, I, I am very passionate about the fact that, uh, okay, let's, go, let's just go back to love for a moment. Um, I love the planet. I love the earth. I love the fact that we're here. I believe that we are here to be custodians of the planet, <clears throat> that humanity is the, what I call the divine husbandman. We are here to, to look after the planet, to look after the earth. And interestingly, <clears throat> if you look at all of the uh, other ethnic cultures that we uh, suppressed, they all had an understanding of this oneness with life, this oneness with the planet. There's a, there's a fantastic uh, thing on Netflix going around at the moment called uh, My Teacher, the Octopus. I don't know if you have seen it or heard no, about it. No, no, never. Very, very worthwhile watching. My, my, mm. my octopus teacher or my teacher, the octopus. Anyway, the guy, Craig Foster, is develops this relation with an octopus. But at one point in time, he is in the desert with, I think it's the Kalahari Bushmen who are tracking. And he has this amazing, as we said before, intuitive experience, a ha-ha moment. And he sees that these Bushmen are in nature. They are a part of nature. And he realizes that he is outside nature looking in. So going back to the concept of meditation, which is stilling the mind, the whole purpose is to be one with nature. Where we have gone wrong is that we have separated ourselves. We are apart from. We believe that we are superior to, that we are dominant of nature. We, we have stepped outside of nature. So <clears throat> I believe very, very seriously that our, that our goal right now need, and that, that, that is what, you know, talk about pollution, talk about all of the, 
all of the areas of, of the destruction of what humanity is doing, it is because we are completely unplugged. We, we see nature as being at our disposal. And I'll give you a really, really concrete and personal example of this. It's not how I. It's not the answer to your question of of how I started to write, but it's sort of indicative. Now you would all know. For those of your viewers who don't know, I live in Australia, in Sydney, and you probably have all heard of the Opera House, which is one of the famous buildings in the world. And I was driving to cross the Harbour Bridge when it was being built. So that shows you how long ago it was. I think it was the seventies. And uh, there was a lot of traffic, so I stopped and I was just sitting there going into what is called alpha or meditation or whatever. And when uh, humanity builds a building, they put these pylons with these metal rods into the earth. And all of a sudden, I just had this experience of being the planet, of being Earth, of being Gaia, and having these metal rods being driven into my head. And I just had this, again, experience of the Earth just shaking its head. And, you know, it could take three seconds. But that's not really the point. The point is that, you know, when we talk about life and we talk about love, then the most essential and absolute understanding, belief, call it what you will, is that all life is sacred. All life is sacred. All forms of life are sacred. And the reason I suppose that I write, it's not really the answering your question, but the reason that I write is that I believe passionately that we need to stop the destruction, and we need to understand that all life is sacred. And the interesting thing is, coming back to really what we were talking about before, and I'm sure what Fit for Joy is all about, is that that is where the joy is. The more separated from life, more separated from nature, the more separated from all those things are, the more miserable we become. And the more integrated, harmonious, unified we are with nature, then the more joy, the more lightness, the more love, the more freedom there is. It's a, it's a real paradox yeah, it that is. <laughs> the more we chase these toys, this materialism, this almost competitiveness, it, 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 it's, it's, it's just very, very sad. So sorry, it's a long-winded answer, but how did I, and, and I suppose the other uh, other answer is that, as you said a little while ago, and people always say to me that when I talk or when I write, they find it very clear. I think I'm very lucid. And so I believe that that is my gift and that that therefore is also my obligation or duty to try and put into words that are clear for people concepts that are very often misunderstood and can become convoluted. And, you know, we've created these religions and philosophies and all these things that are so 
complicated and it's a whole edifice and that's why I call it the temple of understanding is that it's 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 not it's it's life is incredibly simple and it is one of another one of my uh concepts is what I call the simplicity of being when you get on that wavelength of the simplicity of being there is no complication life is very simple life is very beautiful as you said it's a miracle it's wondrous it's joyous all those sort of things but again you can only enter that domain through the plane of being you cannot enter it via your mind you cannot enter it via rationality you cannot enter it via any form of striving to become a better person or any form of religion or doctrine or practice or you know any of these things which implies that i need to get somewhere in order to become what i need to be which is where i already am do you see a new reality emerging do you have a vision for a new reality a better one for all of us oh definitely definitely i see that this is the the death pains uh, and look uh, I'm, i'm sure we can't talk too much about politics but i mean you yeah, in america <laughs> right now right. are experiencing i mean the polarity is unbelievable uh 70 million to 74 million i mean you're split right down the middle you have never had such polarization we have never had such polarization on the planet the virus the, you know i talk about the temple the misunderstanding being a virus it is a psychological or a uh, and i talk a lot about we need a reboot and i think it's unbelievable that this virus has now manifested as a biological virus so we are in the death throes of this society of this civilization and that's not negative we can look at the as i said to you at the beginning i when i was a child i used to think well let's imagine i was living in ancient sumeria or whatever i mean there have been many many cultures many many civilizations many many what i call world views um we are just in the middle of one we are just experiencing one and it is giving way it is it is losing its hold its grasp and we will absolutely be entering a new age now i do write a lot about uh you know that humanity is extinct but we need to be really clear here we are only talking about homo sapiens you know we are the seventh version of homo human beings have existed on the planet for up to 2 million years you know homo sapiens is like 200,000 years old and the paradigm that we live in right now which we can call modern man is probably 2000 years old i all my work is designed to uh bring forward what i call the new human and the new human is what you and i have been talking about is more intuitive is more holistic is more loving in other words it's a shift in paradigm and the basic shift in that paradigm is from one of separation to one of wholeness and we need to go back 500 years to three men 
who were very, very instrumental in bringing in the age of separation at the age of reason. The first was Rene Descartes, Descartes, I think, therefore I am. Very logical, all about logic, all about reason. Second one was Isaac Newton. And Newton created what was called the mechanical uh, version of the universe. He saw the universe as a gigantic machine, like a clock that God created at a certain point in time, just like we would build a machine and put that machine into the universe and it worked according, like a clock forever on mechanical rules. No feeling, no life, just a machine. And then the third one was Francis Bacon that came along and said that nature was there for us to exploit. And so when you put those three concepts together, you get the divorce from nature. You believe in separation. We've spent the last 500 years looking for this indivisible particle, the atom, the word atom means indivisible particle. So we're all about separation. What do we do when we want to understand something? We pull it apart. We're always separated from. That is the paradigm that we live under. It's a paradigm of separation. It's a paradigm of individuality. I am separate from you. I am separate from everybody else. We are all separated. And that's what I just mentioned. If you look at the polarization and, you know, I loved Joe Biden's speech where he's saying we need to cooperate. We need to move away from this separation and hate to one of cooperation and working together to make America great again. You know, how can you make America great by creating division? So the new paradigm is one of holistic understanding, as I said before, the sanctity of life, that all life is sacred, all forms of life. No form of life is more important or less important. When we say before that I'm God, yes, but so is a plane of grass. So is a uh, an ant. So is every individual molecule, atom, cell. Everything is divine. Everything is sacred. And the whole paradigm shift is that the new human will be existing in this holistic understanding of oneness where we are intuitive, where we're not so, fo- there's nothing wrong with materiality. You know, the, the basic misunderstanding is that we are going to have to give up, you know, plumbing and electricity and all the wonderful things of the world that we live in. No, we don't need to do that. You asked me before about what, do I enjoy most about being physical? And I, as I said, if you look at the, all of the religious teachings basically put ourselves against our body. Okay. There's there's this war going on. And coming back to your concept of fit for joy, you will never find joy via a false or extreme asceticism. True joy is in loving and appreciating your physicality, your body, looking after your body, treasuring your body, nurturing your body, feeding it appropriately, not just with the right diet of food, but with the right diet of of thinking, with the right diet of exercise, with the right diet of relating. And so 
the new human does not need to be um, a return. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite old. Um, I grew up in an alternative hippie era. era. Yeah. And once upon a time, we did believe that, <laughs> you know, this society had to collapse and we had to go back to some sort of primitive uh, <clears throat> state. And, I, and that's why I pause when you ask me about the, the physicality and what I love about the body. What, I've, what I'm learning and what I've realised now is that the universe is incredibly generous. If you look at nature and its bounty, we do not have to give up all the, what will we call it, the mod cons, the, 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 the great things that we have invented via logic, via rationality, via those 500 years. It's just that we need to uh, steer back. Now, I, I have spent most of my life, as I said, studying life, and, and one of the main philosophies, I suppose, for want of a better word, that I came across and I, I looked at all of them, is yin and yang. Now, the beauty of yin and yang is that its basic truth is that all things that go to extremes go back to the other side. So if you have a very hot day, you get a thunderstorm, you know. So we have gone too far into logic. We have gone too far into materiality. We have gone too far into this alienation and separation from nature. It's not that we have to give it all up. We just need to move back. I mean, again, going back to your to your politics at the moment, it's a moving back to the middle. It's a moving back, you know, to the Buddhist of all things in moderation. It's a moving back to embracing as our conversation started about the yin and the yang, the male and the female, of that we need to embrace the femininity of the human race and we need to, uh, because logic is very masculine, you know, you, are, you need to understand the right and left hemispheres and how they work. Intuition is spatial. You do not arrive at an aha experience via logic. You're just there all of a sudden. So there's this wonderful gestalt of knowing. Uh, whereas there are times when you need to use logic, you ask me about writing, if you're going to write, there's a lot of logic that goes into, okay, how do I get from the premise to how I want to try and convey that thought to people. There is a logical process that you go through. There's a logical process that you and I had to go through to connect on Skype via computer at a particular point in time. Again, there's nothing wrong with logic. There's nothing wrong with rationality. There's nothing wrong with materiality. There's nothing wrong with modern society. It's just that and I suppose uh, that, you know, when I said before about studying life, for me, the number one law is that one does not injure. One does not injure. You do not injure in order to achieve, and you don't have to, because one of the basic concepts of the paradigm that we live in, which is the separate paradigm, separation, is win-lose. That for me to win or for me to have 
then somebody else must have less. It's a very competitive, you know, it's the Donald Trump, it's all about us and them. If we believe in win-win, if we believe and understand that the universe, as I said a little while ago, is incredibly generous, incredibly bountiful, incredibly beautiful, there is no shortage, there is no lack, there is no scarcity. Um, you know, the six wealthiest people on the planet own the same wealth as three billion people. Six people, three billion people. It's it's a misallocation of resources. It's about greed. It's about me having more than I need and therefore someone else having less. So it's the concept is that I can exist in this, uh, as you said, this miracle of uh, there is more than enough, everything is okay, and thus I don't need to have this shortage. So we're almost at the end. I absolutely love your message, your mission, your wisdom, profound wisdom, your presence, everything about you is just so enlightening. I think that's the word. It's light. Two more questions for you, Adrian. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? I don't know if you've ever heard of Don Juan, Carlos Castaneda. No, no. No. Okay. So uh, Carlos Castaneda was uh, anthropo. Uh, he studied the Yaqui Indians and there was the one, the, the um, sage that he studied was called Don Juan. They're, and Don Juan, he wrote several books. Carlos Castaneda wrote several books. But anyway, Don Juan, who is this uh, Native American Indian, but more South America. And he talks about the fact that you should always walk with death on your shoulder. And this is a quite a common concept in, in religion, many religions, which is that be aware of your mortality. Now, when, when we're young, you know, we believe we're immortal and infinite, you know, we're going to go on forever. Yeah, <laughs> true. As you get older, you, you become more aware of your mortality. And as I said, Don Juan said, you know, walk with death on your shoulder, meaning that and there's a, a a lovely phrase in the I Ching. I don't know. The I Ching is a is an ancient Chinese text, and it says, "To the superior man, it makes no difference whether death comes early or late. He lives his wa- lives his life and waits his allotted time." In other words, go- and and I want to go back. To you asked me a question about happiness, and and I spoke about happiness, joy, and contentment. Now, part of this paradigm that I'm talking about, and and I'm saying it's a paradigm of separation. The fear of death comes from that because we, you know, we might like to think about or we might like to believe, but do we absolutely know? You also asked me once a question about knowing. Do we absolutely know that we go on 
that life goes on, that my life goes on after death. And this, again, is a really, really important part of the discipline and practice of meditation. If you go deeply enough into meditation, you do experience whether you want to call it the death of the body or the fact that you are immortal, that you that you are not your body, you are beyond your body, you are more than your body. You see, you are not your body and you are not your mind. Whether you want to call it, again, like the word God, whether you want to call it the word soul, but the word soul has religious connotations, whether you want to call it your essence doesn't really matter. When you live with your death, going back to Don Juan, when you live with your death, when you realize that the death of the body, as I said before, it's just like getting out of a car. You know, you drive somewhere, you get out of your car. You come here, you do your job, you get out of your body. I don't see or fear death or regret. I had, I had a very close friend here the other day. Now, <clears throat> in my life and where I live, I have spent 50 years building uh, the most beautiful garden and, uh, because I wanted to demonstrate that we could regenerate the planet in 50 years. And that 50 years will be next year, 21. I started in 1971. And so I had a friend here just last week and we were walking through the garden and I said, well, you know, and would they were asking me questions. The same question basically to you. Once upon a time, I used to fret about so many things and I realized, hey, I'm going to die, you know, like, <clears throat> and someone else will have to look after this garden. And he said, oh, look, look, let's not get morbid or sad or something. And I didn't say anything because I thought I'm, I don't want to be rude. But for me, death is not negative. For me, death is not something to be feared. And so neither is it something that I am going to regret or think, gee, I need to change. The only thing that I I would like to achieve before I die is to get my message out or, or to, to communicate this message to more people. But even that can be a vanity. So when you move beyond the ego or what I call the negative ego, then you, you just live in a world of acceptance where Look, and I, and I don't want to. I don't want this to sound negative or pessimistic or in any way morbid. <clears throat> I am perfectly happy to die right now. It's a very strange concept, and I don't want your listeners to get it the wrong way round. I, I love life. I enjoy my life. I, I'm 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 thoroughly, hundred percent into this experience. But uh, it's such a hard concept to get across. But when you are there, there is nothing to fear about death. There's nothing that, oh God, I want to get more done or I need to do this or, you know, and I speak to people about this a lot and they go, oh yeah, but what about your grandchildren or or what about your loved ones or what about that? But again, that that's well, I mean, again, I, I totally believe that I can still see and be aware of, of what's going on as a spirit. So I, I don't really think that if I knew I was going to die tomorrow, would I change anything? I I still love to get up every day. <clears throat> Look, there's a very simple answer to that question. I believe that 
every single day you live that day to the fullest in appreciation of the gift of life and what you can achieve for that day. And if you live every day fully, then when you go to bed at night, and this is an incredibly important concept and a, probably a good place to finish on, coming back to fit for joy. The most important part for me, health, the most important ingredient for health, and one of the other books that I have written many years ago is called The Art of Nourishment. One of the most important ingredients of health is when you go to bed at night, that your day is complete and you sleep soundly. So that when you wake up the next morning, you are reborn. It's a new day. It's a new morning. It's a new blessedness. And so for me, I want to die every night. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. What a beautiful message, right? I don't want the continuity of the past. I want to die every night to a complete day that I have lived, that I have enjoyed, that I have done my best to uh, tend my garden, to heal the planet, to, to be a source of inspiration. And that's where that contentment comes from. I can't be content if I'm lazy, if I'm indolent, if I'm hesitant, if I'm afraid, I can't have contentment. I can only have contentment when I've done my best to be the fullest that I can be. And that's it. It's over. It's finished. You go to sleep and then you wake up. I, I don't see any difference between a good night's sleep and death. That's a beautiful way of ending this um, podcast today. Yeah. Thank you again. Thank you very much. Lovely to talk to you and thank you so much for your work in, in getting this message out to, to people who are receptive and ready to hear it. Yeah. Last question for you, Adrian. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services and future projects? Okay, so I have my own website, which is Adrian Emery, A-D-R-I-A-N-E-M-E-R-Y.com. Um, and uh, that, that's probably the best place to, to find out. Um, I'm very busy in my, in my garden and my life. It's uh, something that I'm still working on to uh, get the message out there. The Temple of Understanding has three volumes. The first volume is Personal Sovereignty. The other two haven't been published yet, but the three of them go together. The second one is called Dao Tuning, which is about yin and yang and the chi of life, the flow. How do I get on the flow? So once I am sovereign, meaning I know what I want to achieve in my life, how do I then manifest that? How do I execute it? And the third one is becoming one, which is sort of, I suppose, entering the Garden of Eden, entering that place of blessedness where I am one with uh, universal consciousness. Doesn't mean I give up my individuality, but it does mean that I can merge at will. So best place is my website. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye.
Thank you for listening. To learn more about Adrian Emery and his work, please visit adrianemery.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.